Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 347. The one where the old men in funny hats are determined that you shall never listen to. I'm Keith. <laughs> I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm getting over bronchitis. Oh, I'm glad you're feeling better. I am feeling better, much better. I'm a lot better actually. Cough-wise, cough I'm better this weekend than I was last weekend when we recorded huh. last week's show. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah, I am. Thank you. Hopefully, keep the uh, coughing fits down tonight. <laughs> last week, I was a lot of that. How about you guys? I had a great week. I didn't work all week. Oh, were you off all this week? I was off all That's week. That's right. You said last week you were taking this week off. Yeah. So yeah. nice daddy-daughter time. Just hang out with hang uh, out the on the couch. I think this was the most... Well, I don't want to say lazy because I obviously wasn't because I was taking care of Gemma. But the the least busy of my staycations I've ever had. since oh, At least since we've bought the house. I watched the rest of Iron Fist. And I enjoyed it. It's very different from the rest of the Netflix series, but it's not bad. I mean, Danny as a character is kind of stupid and makes bad decisions. <laughs> but <laughs> but I didn't think the storytelling was bad. It was just a different approach. Had they started with it, maybe, I don't they, it wouldn't have been lauded as the success that Daredevil is, obviously. Right. And right. There, there wasn't the big f- amazing fight sequences that any of the other shows had, but... This, as far as storytelling and getting us to, I think, where we need to be for the Defenders, I thought, I thought it was enjoyable. And then I also watched quite a few movies. We, I watched Split. Oh, the, uh, the, uh, the Shyamalan. Ding Dong. How was it? Which, it was fairly good. Which is someone who has not enjoyed, who gave up on him after Signs in the Village. That's a pretty high praise, the fact that I enjoyed his film. We also watched King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. <laughs> I kind of agree raspberry with for that one. with Sean's review of that, and the Guy Ritchie aspect of the of the movie would have made a great Robin Hood, and the rest uh, not so much. Uh, another one I watched was A Monster Calls by Patrick Ness, the guy who did Class. Wow, that is a powerful film. Really, really good. Monster Calls is the one with Liam Neeson as yeah, the, the voice of the monster. And the, the giant tree monster. The, okay. Yeah. It is emotional, so you have to be kind of in the right mindset to watch it because it is it is very, very... It's heavy. It's so well done. It's The monster isn't overused. There's a little bit more of it than the labyrinth and Pan's Labyrinth, but it's kind of on that scale because he's not the thrust of what's going on. He is the... A calling to help this kid cope with what's happening. It's so, so well done. And the last one I watched was John Wick. I did not get to John Wick 2. So. The fact that you haven't returned John Wick 2 kind of tells me a little bit about it. I enjoyed it, but I didn't think it was as amazing as everyone said it was. Really? Yeah. It was an enjoyable flick, but I didn't think it was. Holy crap, that was the best action flick of the past 10 years. What'd you do, Sean? Um. Not much. Well, and I got a few more episodes of Star Trek in this week. Um, I had Shy a lot. She's sick. She's also got the starting of bronchitis. I blame Gwen. Um, 
Mel and I woke up sick after we discovered she was sick, which I don't think we're really sick. I think it's more sinuses on our end. On Tuesday, Sean and Mel and Dave and... Uh, oh, you were going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carmen, who's uh, the lead actress in our short film, went to Kansas City and for the uh, Film Festival Awards. And our little movie took home best editing and best use of prop. So you didn't get to go since you weren't feeling well? I did go. Oh, know, you, oh I, I, went to I didn't hear you say you and them. I did watch some movies this week. Since I was off Labor Day and Tuesday, I took Tuesday off to go to the films. And then, of course, I was off on Friday because of the illness. But um, I watched Batman and Bill, which is a documentary on Hulu now. That's the, Oh, it's on Hulu. That's why I couldn't it find it. It is on Hulu. And it's, uh, <laughs> I'm looking for it on Netflix. You told me. I was like, I don't remember the name of this, but I'm sure it's here somewhere. And no. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. And it's a... Uh, it, it follows... It starts by following an author who has written several different books on kind of the behind the scenes of comic books and stuff like this. Mm. And if you don't know, for years it's been postulated that a man named Bill Fingers actually co-created Batman with Bob Kane. But Bob Kane got all the credit. And so this author, uh, Mark Tyler Nobleman, who's been writing books, has been trying to uncover the truth behind Bill Finger and whether all of this was real. And apparently there was a, uh, a recording at a New York com- comic convention in the 1970s with Bill Finger that was kind of brought all of this to light. Anyway, the the movie follows... It's a documentary, and it follows this author trying to uncover more information about Bill Finger and try to get, you know, uh, basically the credit that he believes that he's, that he's due. And I can't go too much further talking about it because I really it really kind of unfolds as it goes. Uh, that led me to another documentary, which is called Becoming Bond, which is, I believe that's I also, that so I think that's also on Hulu. Yeah, that's and why I haven't watched that one yet. It's basically the, the George Lazenby story. It's, it's his life leading up to him becoming Bond. He started out as a used car salesman in huh. Australia, went to the UK because he was chasing a girl that he was in love with, and became a, a model there, and then stumbled into the part of James Bond. And it's... It's a documentary, but it's it's all it, he's he's telling the story the whole time. It's actually George Lazenby. He sits mm. there on camera mm. and tells the story, but there must not be a lot of footage or other things of his you know life prior to Bond because they did hire actors to kind of act out oh. dramatize his mm-hmm. life uh, as he's telling the story, and it's quite interesting. I I knew I already knew a lot about George Lazenby, and what I thought I knew about George Lazenby was just a drop in the bucket of what <laughs> this man went through. Uh, it is quite an interesting story. Another one that I would highly recommend. And then the last thing <laughs> that I did this week, I actually started my countdown to uh, Halloween because, as everybody knows, the day after Labor Day kicks off the Halloween season. So um, I went a little crazy this year. I'm so wrong. <laughs> I went a little crazy this year. I had heard on the Purple Stuff podcast, which is a terrific podcast if you like schlocky 80s stuff, especially schlocky 80s and 90s stuff, and you know horror films and stuff like that they were talking about one of the cars they did a countdown the top or not countdown but they did their their top 10 favorite pop culture cars but it couldn't be like mainstream stuff so they couldn't do like the delorean or the dukes of hazards generally or they could do they couldn't do things like that they had to kind of dig deep and find the best of the kind of subversive type stuff and one of the guys had come up with the car in the wraith 
And it occurred to me, they were talking about it, and it occurred to me I had never seen The Wraith. So I went to Netflix, looked up The Wraith, and it's on there, and I watched oh. it. And it is a really campy, cheesy <laughs> 1980s <laughs> movie that I couldn't believe I had never seen. Uh, but it's just sort of stars Charlie Sheen. And by sort of, he's really not even in the first half of the movie much. He does kind of have a more dominant role later on in the series, and it may, or in the uh, uh, movie. And it makes sense why the way that is placed together. But um, I can't say that I would recommend it to anybody that wasn't <laughs> maybe. I appreciated the nostalgia of it. You know what I mean? Just because it's done in the 1980s, mm-hmm. late 1980s or so. Uh, but it's an okay movie. Anyway, but it's, <laughs> it's always been kind of categorized as a horror film. And I can see where it is, but it's really more of a sci-fi thing to me. So I don't know if it really counted as a countdown. It's called Halloween, The Wraith? It's called The Wraith. It's got Charlie Sheen. I don't know that I'm familiar with that one at all. And that's probably the only actor in it that I even recognize. Oh, no, uh, Randy Quaid is also, he plays the sheriff. So. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and really, I mean, really cheesy sheriff, small town sheriff. Oh, it was, it was, it was bad. Uh, and then last night, uh, my big movie watch along for my, because every year I pick up kind of a theme to do for Countdown Halloween, is this year I decided I'm going to go back and watch all the Friday the 13th films. Because I haven't uh-huh. seen a lot of those for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And I decided to bring Caitlin on board. So Caitlin and I last night watched the first Friday the 13th. Well, there's one other thing we all did this week. Shall we discuss that now? Yes, let's. We all went to TopCon. We did? We did. <laughs> yeah. What'd you guys think? I went to TopCon. How was your experiences? I, I, um, I love Gypsy. I love TopCon. <laughs> I was... <laughs> Very disappointed with this year. I, I I feel almost like it was a step backward. I was really looking forward to the new venue. Um, I thought getting out of the Ramada downtown and getting over into the Expo Center was going to be a, a, just a great leap forward for them. I did not know that it was at Ag Hall, which is not a leap forward. No. Um, Ag Hall is kind of that... I think everybody has that one venue in town that you hold things at when you can't have a venue anywhere else. Ag Hall's kind of like that here for Topeka. Well, there's there's some there. places that, or some venue or events that the Ag Hall's perfect for, like the Friends of the Library. Friends of the Library sale. book sale, absolutely. That Festival there. of Trees. Festival of Trees, perfect place for it. The uh, exhibition floor for TopCon, it was fine. It was the panel aspect of it being at Ag Hall does not work. Well, and at even all. The, the vendor using that as the vendor area, it, it even felt smaller. smaller yeah. Than, than, I mean, it was it was well laid out and it was very easy to browse, which was kind of nice as opposed to kind of in some of the previous years where, because of how the Ramada had screwed things up, they had some vendors here and some vendors here and you know back and forth. So being able to see it all was nice, but the, the, it it almost harkened back to year one where it was kind of the one room and that was it. I mean, there just didn't really seem like there was much there and it didn't seem like there was much variety from the vendor standpoint. Yeah. Compounding that was the problem that there wasn't a separate room for the panels. And uh, so Keith and I sat in on the, the Deep Roy uh, panel and uh, you couldn't hear it. I mean, just the ambient noise of all of that room and yeah. then having a mic and a couple of speakers in the back corner that didn't cut it. Um, at all and so that was rather unfortunate you know I still want to support it I still want to support TopCon as an event and TopCon as a a Topeka thing and I think it's great that we have it and I I want to see it succeed I want to see it get bigger this really maybe not a step back but it felt like a sidestep at most also walking around the venue there was not near as many vendors this year Mm -hmm. Um, there were only a few places where you really could 
buy stuff or look at merchandise. Uh, so I was a little, little down on that. I think part of that is because so many people complained last year that over three days it wasn't worth it for them to have a slow Friday and a slow Sunday. The Saturday that does have a good number of people isn't enough for them. So I think a lot of vendors kind of shied away this year. So I was a little dis- 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 disappointed with that as well. But Even when we went Saturday, which was... We stayed for about an hour walking the floor. We went around it twice and had Gemma dressed up in a little Wonder Woman outfit. <laughs> and got stopped quite a bit for, oh, how cute is she? And even then, only what we walked the floor and twice and it was only an hour and left. And that was probably the peak part of the day because it was around the noon time. So it was, yeah, kind of disappointing in general. Did see Chris, though both Saturday and Sunday. Nice to meet up with him and talk with him again. Saw Eric uh, Red Dalek from a distance on Saturday, but didn't get a chance to talk to him. I talked to him today. Did you? Mm-hmm. Good. And of course, we got to talk to Lisa from uh, yeah. Time Mini, which was kind of nice to catch up with her briefly and talk about how excited we are about next month. <laughs> so that was that's a definite plus, is getting to meet up with everybody that you know. Yeah. we get to talk to on a semi-annual basis, it seems like. <laughs> Seeing old friends at these things is always the, yeah, the highlight yes. of them. Agreed. Anything else about TopCon? I don't think so. Well, our first bit of news is that class has officially been canceled. Aww. ABC has dropped the act. Boo! Which <laughs> is Glenn's being very quiet. Quite dis- I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm a bit more disappointed since there was a such a cliffhanger. I I, I sit here because. Uh, number one, I'm not surprised at all. Oh yeah, that, um, that's the thing. It's not so surprising it's, to me. It's not news, but on the flip side, I'm on the fence of that because it was just a month ago when we reviewed it, or two months ago when we reviewed it, and I was telling you guys, you know, be, don't, don't be discouraged yet. He hasn't got the <laughs> yeah, you know, you nail the in the coffin. <coughs> well, here's the nail. This in the coffin, is the nail. So, yeah. So. Unfortunately, I, I I can't say that I was surprised. I think the only thing that upsets me is the fact that it was left on a cliffhanger ending, and if there's not some way to resolve that, I'm just I'm I'm a bit disappointed by that. Um, overall, you know, I wasn't wowed by the series; it was okay. Um, but I do I would like some closure, or 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 you know, and and I think some you had one time talked about him writing it. I had about speculated a book that he he never mentioned it, but I thought he should because maybe that's what they, they did class books. When they were starting the sheer series, oh, and then he's obviously a, a novelist. Well, they so. might commission somebody even to do it. To yeah, just kind of close that. out that storyline. So. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, James mentioned in a uh, pseudo-related note he did not get to watch class, but in his opinion, he doesn't think Doctor Who spinoffs work because of the nature of the fact of it being a spinoff of Doctor Who. Doctor Who, his name's in the title. You know what this show is, who the show is about. So now you're going to do a show that's in that universe but doesn't feature the Doctor. You kind of are already running up against this this barrier of, well, how are you going to make that work? And I think they've had some success with varying degrees on on the other spinoffs. But when you, I mean, because Class is what the sixth technical spinoff that we've had now. If you count Canine and Company, and Sarah Jane and Torchwood and so Class. Fourth. That's four. <laughs> Do you count the canine series? The, the CBBC? The CBB, yeah. I don't know that you can since it's not set in the universe. See, I don't know if I, I, I agree with his, his statement because look at how many spinoffs Big Finish has done off Doctor Who. Yeah. Not featuring the Doctor. And, and we haven't no really issue. got to any of those yet, so I can't. 
Well, but well, they've been going long okay. enough. Obviously, there's but, there's, but let's be but fair. That's Big Finish number fans. one has a smaller audience it's than true. the BBC because the BBC is relying on people that aren't necessarily fans. They're also relying on mainstream viewers. Which even if you're a mainstream viewer, the theory is sound because if Doctor Who's not in it and it's a Doctor Who spinoff, yeah. then you're only going to have Doctor Who fans that are seeking it out <coughs> because of um, you know peripheral characters or peripheral events or peripheral yeah. things about it that will be somewhat Doctor Who. So he's absolutely right in that perspective. With Big Finish, it's already a built-in audience. Big Finish listeners are a certain type of listener, and then the majority of them are Doctor Who fans, at least in the Doctor Who universe realm. Yeah. So they're the people that already were going to gravitate to a class or gravitate to a Torchwood or gravitate to a Sarah Jane Adventures. So that's like taking fans and saying, okay, this is why. Now... You can argue that fans probably went over to class and it wasn't quite what they expected and maybe that also led to it. <laughs> but you have to look at the big picture of they're trying to get people that aren't necessarily what you would continue what you would call a Doctor Who fan. This is the average audience and that's what's not working. Where it works with Doctor Who because Doctor Who that's part of the title character. The yeah. doctor's in the title, they're going to go to it because, hey, I know you know, I know this and I'm familiar with it and I like this, even if I'm not a huge fan of Doctor Who fandom. And so, yes, that applies there. I think it's apples to oranges if you try to compare. That's finish. true. There's also some truth to the fact that with all of the big finish stuff, whether it's Gallifrey or Jago and Lightfoot or um, the unit box sets, that <coughs> they are dealing with established characters who have shown up right. in Doctor Who. And that's something that all the other spinoffs did. We had Sarah Jane. We had Captain Jack. We had characters from Doctor Who that's, that, that are now leading their own the show. Exception. And yeah. class didn't have that. So they had that extra hurdle to get over had as well. Had it been a Vastra and Jenny show, it might well, have been a little different. Yeah. And very much so the reason why the Doctor is in the first episode of class. Yes. They, right. they, I think that they recognized that. They said, okay, this has to be this the This has to be here to do yeah. that. So. And then I think ultimately where they were going with it by having the Weeping Angels show up, spoilers, um, at the very end, I think they, if you could have had angels in this early on, yeah, they might have had more people that, that, that gravitates to Doctor Who and came to that and said, oh, I, this is familiar, this is from Doctor Who. Yeah. But I think they were a bit too late. They were a bit too early with the Doctor showing up and they were a bit too late with the angels showing up. And yeah, the problem with that is if the angel is right, you know, right after or on the heels of the Doctor showing up, and you've only got eight episodes. So if you had the weeping angels in there as well, even the threat of them being early... I think a lot of people would have just been, oh, you're just picking up the leftovers. And no, I think you could have done it differently, though. I think you could have started it off with Weeping Angels yeah. and had the Doctor show up much later in the series. I wouldn't want him for to, the finale. To, that well, you know, I wouldn't want him to fix the problem because that was one of the things we complained about in the first episode: <laughs> is the Doctor shows up and just fixes everything, which works better for the Doctor to show up in the first episode when you've got a bunch of inexperienced kids that don't, you know, aren't used to this yet. Yeah, the Doctor shows up once, and this is your one time. The rest of these, this is you're on your own. So that sort of works. But I think if you would have applied the angels early, then you wouldn't have had that, you know, oh, this is just leftovers from the doctor being on the Yeah, possibly. So, but yeah, I mean, we disappointed, yes. Surprised, not so much. No, no, <laughs> not surprised at all. Uh, another bit of news. January 2018, James Goss has novelized a, law, or a, a never produced Douglas Adams story. Uh, Doctor Cricket Who and the Cricket Man. Yeah, yeah, Cricket Coming Man. Out yeah. Hard Actually, cover. I saw that. That was that was rumored a few weeks, maybe a month ago, uh, when they were talking about some of the the Pirate Planet and, and all that stuff, and what's next for the Douglas Adams stuff. And that was one of the things that was 
kind of being bantered around there. So that's a done deal. Now. <coughs> it is coming out according to the official Doctor Yay. Who website. Now, I don't know how much that will really tie into the Hitchhiker's Universe because Douglas Adams actually used the Cricket Man. I think he submitted a story that was rejected by Doctor Who but was encouraged to come back and he came back with Pirate Planet and that ended up becoming a story in Doctor Who. Oh. And so he took a lot of the stuff from Doctor Who and the Cricket Men and used that for Life, the Universe, and everything. He, so there's a lot of elements. And in fact, the Cricket Men show up and they're they're part of the, the, the plot device of uh, Life, the Universe, and everything. So hmm. I wonder how much of that will tie across <laughs> because... They, I wonder if they'll be the same ones or if this yeah. will be something different. I mean, obviously, some of the Douglas Adams thing, the Pirate Planet uh, novelization is, is actually kind of being altered from its television version. Uh, so it's, you know, how in-universe is it really? And I think maybe you can right. apply that to uh, Doctor Who and the Cricket Man because even stuff like Shada, it's really hard to place in the Doctor Who universe because we have three different versions of Shada <laughs> within the in yeah. universe. So yeah. who knows? But I'm excited because of the ties to the Hitchhiker's universe that uh, well, it's just poti- great the to potential have one of that. his stories that never got made or never went anywhere well, out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That brings up an interesting question, especially this past week. Um, as fans of Doctor Who, as fans of Douglas Adams, I'm very excited by this news. Did we hear about Terry, <coughs> Terry Pratchett? Which, that's different. You relate, do you I, think? I, I do think it is because, <coughs> from what I understand from this, this was finished and submitted. It just needed to be. This edited. was a script that was, okay. you know, that was it, turned it, into. It, it's, it wasn't it's a an unfinished. I think work. That Robert Holmes was the script editor at the. Yeah, would have been the script editor at the time when he turned it in, and did, did, he didn't. He didn't like it, so he, he he encouraged Adams to come back with more, but he didn't like this one. He gotcha. didn't want to commission it, so I think that that script is done. And what Goss would probably do is take that script and adapt, you know, stretch it out, make it a novel. Novelize it. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's a different situation than with the Pratchett stuff. So. Yeah. That's, I think it's exciting. Oh, I'm excited about that, because especially because that, that, that of anything relates more to uh, Hitchhiker stuff than anything that, yeah. you know, does. Because we've, we've talked about the Shada connections with uh, Professor Kronos. We've talked about the Pirate Planet with the specific planet. Uh, planetary elements that yeah, cross over. Yes. Uh, this is a plot point of Life, the Universe, and everything. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how I don't remember how the that was at all, so I guess I need so. to go. It's, probably, it's about time for me to go back and reread Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide anyway. Time for a reread. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't told about... Well, it comes out in the UK in January, so okay. I'm not sure when it will come out in the US. Our last bit of news, the nice folks at Candy Jar Books have announced and released their latest short story. The Cruel Oil by Henry Harry Draper. Henry Harry Draper? Harry Draper. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that the guy from Mad Men? No. Draper, yes, but not Harry. It's not Harry? I don't watch Mad Men. I, I don't think know. it's Henry Draper. No, it's not. <laughs> Is it? I don't no, know. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't watch Mad Men either. I didn't even know it was Draper. I know it's Draper. So this is the first of I the... curious. Short story open submission window stories. Oh, cool. So dive right in and read that one if you uh, have got it. And if not, go to uh, uh, there's a link in our website on our Facebook page that you can click on and click the download on once you get there and download it. Yep, and there'll be links in the uh, show notes as well for this particular story. So, or this particular podcast. 
Um, my Don question Dra- is, Don Draper. when does Cruel Oil take place? Do I have to have read Daughters Should of be Earth before first? the novel, The Dreamers of Lament. So I do have to read Daughters first, and then Cruel Oil, and then Dreamers. Right. Okay, right. so... If that's the right order. Bummer. Because I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at the synopsis of this book, and it's very atmospheric, and it's very, like, you know how they did uh, Fomorians last year around Halloween? And, of course, we didn't read it around Halloween. We read it until Christmas before we finally got around to it. <laughs> but um, this one really feels atmospheric and really perfect release for this time of the year. And I like that, that correlation that it's, you know, the Halloween season. So now I'm trying to decide. The dilemma is, do I go ahead and jump forward and read this, and will it matter? Or do I need to read Dreamer? Not Dreamers. Do I need to read uh, Daughters of Earth first, and then go to this one? Which, if that's the case, I'm going to have to get on Daughters of Earth very soon. And we're not reviewing that for now another month or so, right? It's going to be the first thing that we get to after Topcon, so mid October. Topcon or Time or, Eddie? Uh, time Eddie. So mid October. So there's a chance I could still so, get two Cruel Oil in October. the Halloween season. Yeah, so October. It's, it's Time Eddie is twentieth. Oh, yeah, it'd be too late by then. So maybe if I read Daughters of Earth in early October, I still could get Cruel Oil in the Halloween season. Yeah. Well, here, okay. here's here's the deal, just to make you happy. Let me go to my calendar. You don't usually do things just to make me happy. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> time, Ed, something, time 83 is the 20th, 21st, and 22nd. So our show would be the following week on the 30th, or uh, 29th, pardon me, of October. So you could of daughters or of that would be when we would read daughters. So but you review read, daughters or we'll, read we we'll, we will have it read so that we can review it. That, oh, okay, okay. That that show. So since we normally so that's do, not a time Eddie show. Time Eddie shows the week before that. Correct. Okay. So since we normally do with the candy jar a short and the novel. Oh, put them together. We'll just do a short novel short, and that way oh, you okay. can still read it. For I like Halloween. that because we still have a short ahead of that as well, don't we? Before that'll daughters. be yeah, the two novel. brigadiers, right? Yes. Okay. So All two, right. Two Brigadiers, Daughters Lament. Okay. Which is great because I've uh, already read and, Two Brigadiers. Or wait, was, what's Dreamers Lament? Dreamers that's Lament coming. is the next one. Yeah. Uh, it yeah, was released. It was. It's been released. Yeah. It's already out. But. But that's the next one. Chronologically, Chronologically. It's after Cruel Oil, according gotcha, to gotcha, what gotcha, the gotcha, third gotcha. one for this season. Keep saying, yeah. So. So we'll just do the two shorts and the novel. Okay. And uh, uh, that way you get it in for Halloween. Ah. Uh, deal. We'll, we'll get a little. I'll bit, take that. I'll take that deal. So you heard it here first. We'll get we'll get caught up, <laughs> and if for some reason you don't get to it, and you have pre-ordered Havoc Files Four, it will be in Havoc Files Four. But we always seem to read the ones that are released before yeah, we get to the Havoc do. Files. We just usually review the the new stuff in the Havoc Files. So. I'm just saying, if you wanted to wait for Havoc Files Four, you could. I don't know why you'd want to. Yeah, why you would you want to? I mean, you're getting to, it free right now from Kindle chunk of Havoc Files Havoc 4. Fall. Well, but some people might read them and then read it again when Havoc Files 4 comes as out. As good as Havoc Files 3 was, I wouldn't wait. I'd be <laughs> devouring them as they came out. Yeah. All but that one story. Yeah. yeah. Slouching towards something. <laughs> Alright, well, what's next? <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of how awesome I am. <laughs> what's next, Keith? Oh, that's it for news. Alright. Should we move on to feedback? Yeah, our one bit of feedback uh, comes from our Goodreads book club discussion of A Brief History of Time Lords. We're going to read out Ben's review. 
He says, I read this just prior to it being placed on the pole. It's a nice coffee table style book to read. The style of the writing was quite humorous, as you will discover. The pictures and drawings were all very nicely done. Lastly, it's helped me learn something I wasn't aware of, that the character of the master of the Detson Monetary Monastery was, in fact, a Time Lord. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Thanks for weighing in in the Goodreads Book Club. And if you have opinions on any of the books that are in the Goodreads Book Club, please go and share them. Yes. After we do this, I will be sharing my thoughts. It's never too late, right? Because they don't close those forums. I don't as believe they, they originally them. intended to do, but I think they decided to leave those open. So if people come to them later, they can still write their reviews in there as well. So, you just might have to dig for some of them. Yeah, and in fact, if you have read anything in the past that you want to uh, you know, contribute to the forums, please do. Um, obviously, I'm going to continue to say, and, and we're really guilty about not doing this, and we, we probably should do it more often, but read them as, you know, as, as they're reading them as, as, a, as a group. Uh, having that discussion on uh, the boards is, is a lot of fun, and we encourage anybody to engage on that discussion. So That's been... I'm going to let a secret out. That's been one of my New Year's resolutions for this year, was Ooh. to become more involved on the boards of the Goodreads Book Club. And it's been one of the resolutions that I failed at miserably this year. Oh, oh so this was a past resolution? <laughs> that was for 2017. Oh, okay. Because more... if you say what the resolution is going to be before it happens, is that bad luck? Kind of like when you divulge a wish or I don't know. your birthday or something? Okay, but if, if you... We're not even in that territory because this was last year's resolution. Would have been for, have been for this year, 2017. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, right. so... Well, the year's not over, Sean. The year's you not over. Still meet that. In fact, I think we all have reviewed this on Goodreads too, right? We've all we've at least I've given, it, given stars. it stars. Yeah, I haven't so. put my stars in yet. You I haven't put your stars in. I always wait until after the episode comes out. Well, so now I was encouraged. By I don't you. want to tip now my listen, hat. I was encouraged by you. Just my hat, probably my two or three. You can tip, tip your, your hat, hat if you want. <laughs> I was just encouraged. I was just encouraged by you. I don't know. Two or three weeks ago. I don't know that it was on a podcast, but I think it was while we were gathered to talk about a podcast where you said, you know, put your review on there and then tease it to the review coming soon on the podcast, which is exactly what I did this time. I gave a little brief synopsis of what my oh, review was. Oh, you did a review coming soon. And then I said, uh, coming up on the podcast, no. listen to Traveling in the Vortex and, and I'll tell you more. You'll hear more of my reviews. So I thought that was the I did, I did it reverse. I put... Uh, Go to this website, and here's the link yeah, to no, no, that no. show. I, 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 what but. I wanted to do is I give them a little brief taste of what I thought. This is gotcha. how many stars I gave it. This is what I sort of thought. You know, this is a little That's piece of what man. I thought about it. And then plug this podcast. Come listen to the rest of my review on TravelingTheVortex.com. Yeah, no, I don't spoil everything, but I also <clears throat> I don't spoil anything. Well, I no, try I not to. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't. spoil <laughs> And if I, if, if it's even close to maybe being a spoiler, I will mark the spoiler button because Good, I don't want to give any, that. I don't want to give anything away but I always do feel like when I've read books I always try to give a review even if it's directing them to the podcast to say hey come listen to the review I always try to give the review because I've always felt that Goodreads is that only works as a community if you are reviewing the things that you are reading and that you're posting on there because while it's very handy to track it as, as your you know reading challenge and things like that it has a lot of other aspects of value but I think the most important thing is to definitely do reviews of books when you do them because 
at the, at the very least, the stars. And the reason being is because a lot of people utilize Goodreads to find other material that they might be interested in. And if they see a review of something that sparks their interest, they're going to, it's going to encourage them to read the books that are being posted on Goodreads. So I think that's the most helpful element of Goodreads is to inform other readers about a book, whether it's good or whether it's not, whether it's your taste or whether it's not your taste or that kind of thing. And I think that's the best value of Goodreads. I 100% agree with that. And I'm thrilled now that they have linked up Kindle. Yeah. So that well, you can actually... This is the third time that they've done that, and it's been real clunky the last two times, and I'm hoping that this new linking will make it a little more easy, but a little easier. More, more easy? I'll knock easier. on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> so once I, I'll, I'll, I've got mine linked again, but I was really disappointed with the way that it was done earlier, so hopefully they've got it worked out a little better this time. All right. Shall we move on to our review? Well, let's talk about it because we actually all read this one. And I think this is the first time in a while that we it's all have a done a yeah. uh, Goodreads review all together. Uh, you know, we've, we've done a few where we've piecemealed them. Somebody's taken a book and said, look, okay, this is what I thought of this. This is what yeah, I thought of this. Not counting the candy jar stuff. It's yeah, been a while. not counting the candy jar stuff. And we're only a week into September. So we're actually doing this on the heels of this <laughs> being last, books, yeah. last month's yeah. um, uh, book of the month. So. The great and good of Gallifrey, the High Council, the Inner Council, the Cardinals of the Academy, the old men in funny hats are all determined that you should never read this book. That's the back cover. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed this. I did too. It's a fun read. That's that's exactly what it is. It's a fun read. I think that first and foremost, it's a lot of fun to read. It's written in a sort of a tongue-in-cheek manner in the sense that it's somebody it's written as though it's somebody inside time lord society that's giving the brief history of time lords and i think that having that perspective is a lot of fun especially yeah. since it's done in such a, a way that there's it it recognizes that there is a lot of issues with doctor who as far as canonicity goes and so in universe it pokes fun at that without making it blatantly obvious that it's it's writing from outside of the universe it's a, it is a a uh, watsonian perspective on a very doylist issue and so i like that you can look at it from as the doylist and read it from the watsonian perspective and i think that that that's the thing that i appreciate the most about it i especially like that eventually it's sort of divulged who the writer of it is which i thought was very clever how that turns out as well I really appreciated the dealing with the canonicity and more specifically. It's, it's kind of nice having the, the history of Gallifrey kind of laid out in order. Yeah. As someone who's dipped their toe into the Gallifrey stories out of order, it's kind of nice to have them all straightened out and clarified of what's going on when and how and why. Oh, even as somebody who's seen mm. these stories over and over and over again, to be able to go back and put them in sequence and go, Especially oh, once yeah. you get to the Time War and the new series, that's when it really helps. Especially yeah. Yeah. clarifying between End of Time and Day of the Doctor, and really and that so much of that is happening simultaneously, right? All right. That down and then the after effects and all of that stuff. But um, it was also nice that dealing with the canosity of it, that while it was poking fun, it it also <laughs> it didn't try to fix the issue. No, no, which I I, I thought was brilliant when it mentions Shada yeah, and the events yeah. of Shada. And that it happened three different times, potentially. Yeah. With two different doctors. Yeah. 
and then it just kind of leaves it at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as if to well, say, it, we're not really sure. It's like, we're not sure what that was about. Yeah. It recognizes the conundrum that that is the Doctor Who universe, and I think that that's what I appreciate about it most is it recognizes all of that as canonicity, but doesn't attempt to you know bend backwards over itself to try to fix how it all works together it just you know it's kind of a lay it and expect it you know type thing what's interesting uh lay it and accept it not expect it accept it (laughs) how it kind of there's some things in the doctor who stories that you're kind of like well could have been in this could have been that and one of those was as we were preparing for the morbius audio stories and then rewatching Brain of Morbius, and part of my thought was, well, why did the TARDIS land that way? Was it the Time Lords like they thought? And the book fully lays the blame of the Time Lords dragged them there. While those on Twitter, you know, said, well, it was the the whatever Solomon was doing to drag the ships down. So it's kind of interesting that some of it would take stances on some of those things. Yeah. What I found interesting about it is is that it doesn't just adhere to television lore and, and, and logic. It does dip its toe, not firmly, but it dips its toe into uh, some of the things that's been postulated in the uh, Virgin New Adventures that I've read. Um, it does uh, some big finish. I mean, it, it does, like I it say, talks it, about Romano becoming president, right? It doesn't. It doesn't delve into it, but it it it. It skirts it and dips its toe into it, which I appreciate because it gives it an interconnectivity of while we recognize, I think, as Who fans that television is canon and everything beyond that is expanded universe. I mean, we've we've always kind of said there's there's what's there's to me, there's a difference between canon and continuity and canon is basically what's laid forward by the doctrine, which for us, the doctrine is the television series. Anything that's been put on film within the the BBC realm is considered canon. Anything outside of that is considered continuity. And whether you accept it as canon or not is entirely up to the individual that reads it. For somebody like like Sean, I think you can excuse some things and say, well, you know, dimensions and time does not count. But for me, (laughs) everything is canon as long as it's got the BBC stamp of approval on it. And even some things that aren't BBC stamp of approval, we take candy jar books, which comes from canonized material that is spins off from canonized material. To me, it's canon. And so what I like is the fact that this book addresses that by dipping its toe into the various areas and bringing it all together and saying, yes, you're allowed to think that this is probably part of what the, the continuity is. And it works so well by, uh, by doing that. And by... Only dipping its toe into it, and not overburdening itself with. Yeah. Well, but this one contradicts that one, or this right, book right. doesn't have the same thing as that. We 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 addressed that with some of the big keynote stories, and then just that's enough said about that. I mean, so if, you, so that you get the idea of this is where they're going to come from. Right. Okay. If you really want that, then you go to is it Lance Parkinson that did uh, a history. I think so. So, you know, you go to the 1,842 pages of a history <laughs> if you really want to see how, how you want to shoehorn it all in together. But, yeah, no, this this does a really nice job of saying. And, and or the, or the upcoming project from Glenn Bartlett. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, that was. Complete with diagrams and info maps. <laughs> info maps. We're, we're way, way up from that. But anyway. Um, oh, did I let something. That's, that's my pipe dream. 
Did I let a secret go? <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I just I like the fact that it, it kind of acknowledges everything uh, as the reader kind of you know allowing the reader to say, if you acknowledges this, you know, this is enough to connect it for you. So, what um, do you guys think of the breakdown of all the notable Gallifreyans who looked into the untempered schism and how they reacted to them? Yeah, that was neat too. The one thing I didn't like about it was how they handled Susan. I don't like how much of a mystery they, they approached the character with. Well... Because I never felt like there was that much of a mystery to her. She, I... Like, I know in fandom there's been kind of questions, is she really his granddaughter? It's a, I, I've always just accepted the fact that she was. Well, and but... she was a time lord. And then we you, later learned that she was the president's daughter. Right. That's the thing, though. I think that had the TV series not come back around and Moffat said what he said about being the president's daughter. That just tells me that his son was the president. Or the daughter was the president. Well, That's... but I think that allows you to do that. But I think that the, the ultimately, by bringing that back around, I think what the book does is it acknowledges that there is a disparity, a dis- discrepancy in Susan's past. And if you look at some of the, the, the missing adventures and things like that, which fandom has postulated, but not just fandom, the... The uh, expanded universe has postulated the fact that maybe Susan wasn't actually his granddaughter as well, and so I think that's what it's doing. Is it's it's again allowing the reader to kind of draw its own conclusions without definitively say some of the things that are out there that are still subject for debate. It doesn't try to nail those things down, but it does try to accept what has been presented in various different fronts on a particular character. And I think that happens once with the master, and I can't specifically remember where I thought there was some <laughs> questioning of, as to whether... I can't remember if it was, it was the... Like the nice little reference to uh, the robot master? Yes, there. that's exactly, <laughs> exactly something like that. By other things that have been postulated or things that have been solidified or or has have even been just skirted the issue on I, was I think very pleased to read yeah that. see but I mean, <laughs> again we liked that we we grabbed on it for the same reason that somebody looks at that and goes oh well you know I've always believed that Susan wasn't actually his granddaughter it I mean there's true. a lot of people out yeah. there that feel that the doctor's asexual so why would he have a granddaughter I mean they don't uh, the virgin new adventures Mark Platt postulated the the idea that time lords are, are bred on a loom that Eons ago, they could no longer reproduce. When they became Time Lords, they were not able to reproduce. They could not sexually reproduce. And so they had to devise a way in order to keep the lineage going. And so Time Lords are basically bred or grown on a loom and then plucked off of there when they become of a certain age or, or even you know as a baby and are raised and, and into the Time Lord society. So it even goes about that way mm-hmm. of saying well you wouldn't have a granddaughter if you come off of a loom I mean you might have some lineage within that loom but you know you you wouldn't actually have a physical granddaughter there's yeah, no but, way that that could happen but, but he's, be... he's half human on his mother's side so that's the other thing <laughs> that it that, that was another thing that that book sort of addresses is it, it goes there for those people that want to accept that fact that the eighth doctor what he says is true and they, some people hold that to yeah, well yeah he obviously said it so he must be I think there's probably a eighty <laughs> percent group of people that say no, he was just absolutely lying and just yeah. saying something there. But the book doesn't make it doesn't make assumptions. It just gives you the stuff that's presented and really kind of coercively brings it together and says all of this can be true. And I think that's what I like about mm-hmm. it as well. Yeah, I was quite surprised actually to read that line about Susan because. The way the master presented <coughs> that story, 
she rattles off once upon a time when the doctor was a little girl and then this happened and then he ran away with the president's daughter one of those is a lie or one of those is the truth i forget exactly how she worded it in the episode and so you're, you're you're stuck in that logic trap of well i know this one for a fact is not true but i suspect this one is not true and this one probably could be the truth so you kind of eliminate him that way. And then for the book to bring that back up, that Susan was the president's daughter. Well, that's been addressed twice now. Yeah. Because... I was with Ian, Keith. I just assumed that at some point in time down the road, the doctors... Because I've, I've, I've never... she She's granddaughter. Granddaughter, grandfather. I've never doubted that in my mind. It's never been a term of affection. It's always been a... Yes, the doctor at one point in time had kids. He's probably had lots of kids. And Susan well, I mean, is I a granddaughter. It, I guess it helps the fact that Especially later in the show, like Tenzera, he's mentioned that he's had kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's not, I guess it's not some big mystery of, is it really? Because it's happened. But ultimately what you have to accept that it comes down to is that at the time that Ten says it, it's Russell T. Davis trying to... Fix it. Well, he's he's trying to canonize it. He's saying, well, if I throw that out there, that that gives some validity to the idea. And so Moffat comes along later. How many regenerations do you have? 512. Moffat comes along later and says, well, now I'm in charge and I'm, you know, uh, constructing the mythos. And so I can put this in there. So that's what you have to look at. And that's happened through 52 years now, 53 years of Doctor Who history as we've just continually come upon so many varying stories and aspects of it that you just have to kind of take with whatever. Yeah. Whoever's running it at the time, <laughs> but but the, the the president's daughter thing comes up twice because I think Missy says it at one point, right? Yes, she's talking about it, and then and the there's doctor tells Clara, doesn't he? Well, he tells Clara in the end of not this last season, but the season before, when they're going down into the. So uh, that's the only reference I remember. Under well, uh, Missy says it in the in the. I remember her saying something about him when the airplane stop and the yeah. When they're sitting down at the cafe, right. that's where Missy brings it up. So that's brought time. up there, and then it's that. I think that's why it's Magician's addressed then later. Yeah, Magician's Princess, and then it is addressed right. at the end of the run, where just before Clara's dead, right? Well, no, she's not dead, no, it's but not in the moment between right heartbeats, just before she's dead, <laughs> which is an eternity because <laughs> she will never <laughs> die. So how crestfallen were you, Sean, when uh, you saw the entry specifically for the war chief? No, um, it wasn't the master. And as much According as to the book, I, I will say right now, as much as I am here say, praising this book for not nailing anything down, I told you so. <laughs> I, I, I am not crestfallen at all because I, I think the book I, was pretty clear. I still think it works. I still think it works. This book was pretty clear. It's yeah. a separate ent- entry separate, altogether. Separate person. That's that they know of. <laughs> He's a master of disguise. Come on. I think it's funny with all of the uh, because I don't think you're the only one that speculated that. I think oh, there, I, know I think I think there's that fan speculation out there. But it not it must not have been great enough for the author of the book to say, okay, we'll leave this one out there and kind of tiptoe around it like he does on a lot of the other elements. Yeah. He flat out says, whoop, whoop, this is a different person. And so I think... And, and I, had it been... I, I firmly chalk that up to just a difference of opinion because if I had written this book... You would have I would have taken it, the opportunity yeah. to put, 
he may have been right just, exactly just to give exactly. that hook that yeah, I'm going to leave that alive but it makes me, as opposed to definitively saying no <laughs> it makes me wonder is is it the really big stuff that is tiptoed around or is it that maybe that is because I always thought that that was something that a lot of people probably speculated on by nailing that down in here it makes me think that you're probably one of a few people that kind of postulate that idea that the war chief and the well, master. Well, I'm going to start person. a movement. <laughs> <laughs> so, in brief history of the Time Lords, 2.0. <laughs> well, we had to address this now. I'm just going to take over for Chimnal, and then it'll be like, now I'm writing the. Now mythos. I'm writing, <laughs> and I will bring back the war chief. And well, Chimnal now, and Chimnal, and make him the master. Chimnal's taking the writers' room approach. So, so yeah. you should just get in the writers' room because, it, unlike Russell and. Stephen, who have been the guiding hand, Chibnall is really going to be more of a showrunner, and he's going to let the writers' room basically guide the series. So, if you got in the writers' room, you wouldn't even have to be after Chibnall; well, you could just See? be in there in Chibnall's era. So, <laughs> that that missing regeneration of the master you all want somewhere between uh, John Sim and Missy, it's the War Chief. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, I think my favorite, other than the open, which the, 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 this book has the greatest open in the history of book opens ever. <laughs> yeah, and that, that really kind of sets you up for what you're in for. Yep. It, it lays it out within one page. And it presents this story and then says, or this, or, or this, this. <laughs> or this. And then it delivers a punchline. And it's kind of like that in one page tells you what the rest of this book is going to yes, be. Yeah, that we're absolutely. going to give you these stories and they may be true or they may not be true based on your perspective of where you're coming from. Right. And then we're going to give you a joke about it. To follow that up with the uh, the, the back in the prehistory where you know all the blah 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 of Rassilon which <laughs> <laughs> I know we had joked about it when we did oh, the, the show. that was the beauty of it is the fact that we had joked about it so much only to find out that that's a joke in the book. Well, you know? and that it went way deeper than even we touched on. Yeah. The the, the, the joke that I thought that, you know, we were the podcast of Rassilon and the on and on and on, and that, no, there was way more in there than I'd remembered, and there was way more in there than I'd even speculated about, and I think there were a couple that were made up. It didn't matter. It's totally something Rassilon would have called. Right, <laughs> You right. know, the blah, blah, blah of Rassilon. And there were so many of the, in here that are almost it was this, of Rassilon, but he decided to scale it back. In a, in a rare act of humility, he said, nah. <laughs> <laughs> The great library of Rassilon. Why is that not a thing? Probably is somewhere. But um, <laughs> the line about, and then in typical Time Lord fashion, they locked it up where it could do no harm and it was promptly stolen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it revisits that again. I went, Oh, that doesn't happen all that often. You're just talking about the one instance, you know. And I'm going with the moment. And then I was refreshed as we fell through the rest of the timeline. And then it happens the, the, again. The blah 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 happened. So we locked and then it up. It happens and then again. it was stolen by so and so. And I went, oh yeah. yeah. And then this happened. We locked it up. And then it was stolen by so and so. And I went, oh yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's like war games or uh, Maverick. Your security isn't worth a damn. You know? Yeah, it was it was really brilliantly written. I thought so. There were there were a lot of those kinds of things that just were 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 so well done with this book that was a, it was a lot of fun to read. 
And um, usually with books like this, you can kind of go either way. It can either be something that's very enjoyable while still presenting you with a wealth of information that you already knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it can be an absolute bore because it's presenting you with a wealth of information that you already knew. Yeah. And you know, every now and then you'll get a nugget out of them. But this is this is one of the former. It's it, it's it was a lot of fun to read, even though most of it already knew it. But a lot of it was presented in such a way that I hadn't thought of. Yeah. Or it was a good refresher course for well, it. Well, so. and I, a lot of it. I have to ask you about the because it goes right up to the fact that that he that the doctor draws the line in the sand at the end of the at the end of the universe, basically draws a line in the sand and runs wrestling off. And I, you and I specifically, I think, and Keith maybe even so, I can't remember, have always had a problem with how simple that was, how simply he just ran off. Uh, and that was my biggest problem with the episode. Well, it was you then. Okay. Yeah. But this no, book... We're, yeah, we're all... Okay, so this book somehow, and I can't really put my finger on why, softens that for me a little bit. And maybe it's because... It gives us more of a linear history of Rassilon and his motives than anything else, probably. And for some reason, that kind of when reading that passage in there up to that point kind of made me think, okay, it's really not so much out of character as I and, and I think the rest of us felt that Rassilon wouldn't have just done that, but it almost. By the, it helps you paint a picture of Rassilon by that point in his life. Yes. He would have done it. Maybe that's what I yeah, maybe that's what it is. Is it paints a picture up until that point in his life that Rassilon yeah, the I, resurrected was also weary. Rassilon the weary at that point because he'd also regenerated at some point. That that, right. that I think yeah. is is the key is the the overwhelming disappointment that it wasn't Timothy Dalton. <laughs> Because, I was even right. okay with that. Yeah, I, like I remember you having the that. That was the showdown I wanted. I wanted right. the Doctor versus Timothy Dalton. I wanted right. that, you know. And the fact that he'd regenerated and that he was no longer, as the book would point out, Rassel on the Resurrected. Right. If it had been Rassel on the Resurrected, I don't think he would have reacted Rassel on the Deserted. That's what it was. Yeah. That's yeah. what it was. I, I think there would have been a much different reaction from him. Right. Reading this and kind of getting the history of Rassel on the Resurrected and what he was going through and what he went through and and even even the idea that after the plan failed and with Gallifrey kind of squirreled away at the end of time that he was okay that just didn't work I got to try something different I kind of had issues with because I, I just in, in, in my head Rassilon is so full of himself that once he gets an idea he will carry it out and that's been evidenced by everything through you know the dark tower and the tomb and the the key well, and the, the, the eye of harmony and the probable. I, I like how they didn't really touch on the big finish idea that he may have been directly behind exiling Omega. That it was it was still listed as an accident officially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I kind of was waiting for it to turn the page and go, but we think this, and it wasn't there. I was like, oh, but that's okay. Um, well, even it, so much so that the the Titan in the was a supremacy of the Cybermen. Yeah, where Rassilon cuts the deal with the Cybermen and ends up. Uh, that seemed more in line, and it, yeah. you could tell that the writers of that really kind of felt the same way we did about Rassilon running off when the Doctor draws the line in the sand. And so, even so much that seems more in line with what something that Rassilon wanted to do. Now, I think we were disappointed with the resolution of that and how Rassilon reacts at the end of that. Ultimately, <laughs> when you're trying to fix something before, and then you, you know, 
ultimately turn around and have Rassilon react in a different way than we would expect. That yeah. didn't work as well. But so much, so to your point, that that's how you kind of expect. That's it. how it, that's it, it was fixed by reading up on that and really driving home Rassilon the Resurrected. And then with the new regeneration, it made the 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 new version of Rassilon in my head canon. Rassilon the Deserted, you said? Rassilon the yeah. Deserted. It, it made him more acceptable that that was the path he chose. Yeah. But once I get into the writer's room, <laughs> Rassilon will come back. He's, 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 I, I don't believe that he deserted Zalakalifrey. I really don't. I think he's skulking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. he's plotting something. Sure, sure. So that, that'll, be, that'll be another chapter for another day. But... Maybe he's teaming up with the war chief to set up the war. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> he helped establish that. You, you would like to have these uh, these 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 town cabinets, huh? I happen to have a key that'll, that'll <laughs> open can that hangar. Secrets to those. Uh... <laughs> Anything else about this book we want to talk about? That would be the well, ultimate kick in the pants, wouldn't it? That not only is Rasmussen responsible for driving him nuts. <laughs> <laughs> that he's the one that sets him up on a life of crime. <laughs> uh, I don't think I have anything else on this story or on the book. It's an enjoyable one. It, it was really a lot is. of fun. And it was well illustrated, too. Yeah. I, I liked. Very well laid out. I like the fact that they went with pictures that you would expect and that there were also some pictures in there. It's like, where did you get this from? Yeah. Yeah. The, and then some of the random CGI. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, in particular, the, uh, the the slight jab at the uh, PBC set design going from what the Panopticon and Gallifrey looks like in Deadly Assassin versus what it looks like <laughs> in <laughs> Invasion of Time. It's like an airport lounge with right, this right. chair. It's like, oh, that was not even subtle. <laughs> But it acknowledges it, so... Who wrote this? Yay. It was written by Steve Tribe. Who has apparently... I I read the foreword. He has apparently written other Doctor Who stuff. I'm not sure what they were. um, Because I don't think it was mentioned in the the, the foreword. Um, He wrote something for the 50th. Hold on. 50 years of who? Yeah. I would be interesting in tackling another one of his books if it's handled with the same aplomb. I think uh, some of the elements of this book, I think he said in the foreword, were what they want. Some of the things they wanted to include in Fifty Years of Who, and decided that 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 stuff didn't really work, and so he reworked that stuff to write this book, and, and decided that they had something else here. So, yeah. So he wrote also the TARDIS Handbook, the Doctors, the Life and Times, and then a History of the Universe and a Hundred Objects. Along with 50 Years of Who. Actually, I'm not seeing that one listed. No, I thought that was the one. So he did the Time Traveler's Almanac, looks like. Yeah. Okay. So I think his lives and times must be the... That must have been one. The the one for the 50th anniversary. Yeah, they had uh, a lot of this stuff. Whatever he was writing before, they had a lot of this stuff already kind of I think I have two of those, so I'll have to go go home and look. I have the TARDIS handbook, for sure. I don't have that one, but I think I have the... And the Dalek handbook, apparently. I have the Dalek handbook. I have the Life and Time. Looks like he teamed up with James Goss a lot. Ah. What a good duo there. We approve of this pairing. We do. Yes. (laughs) 
All right, well, of course, you can find us at TravelingTheVortex.com. And while you're there, consider becoming a patron of the podcast on the right-hand side of the page. We'll find a button that will take you to a place where you can support us on Patreon. And any amount there is welcome. 100% of all those donations go back into this podcast. Also, there's links to other retail sites on that site as well. If you'll uh, click through those, a portion of those proceeds also go into this show. And if you uh, would like, you can also check out some merchandise at our merchandise store. And a portion of those proceeds go back into this podcast as well. Find a link on the website, uh, travelingthevortex.com. While you're, while you're on the website, you can fill out the Send Us Feedback tab and send us some feedback. Or you can send it directly to feedback at travelingthevortex.com. Also on our website, you should be able to find links to all of our social media accounts where you can follow us, like us, and interact with us there. Cool. And while you're on the website, you can also check out our schedule, which has not been updated, but uh, is still there. the schedule? The schedule. All right, it's back to keep this one. Oh, no! (laughs) Good grief, I said if! Um, This week for Friday Night Who is Forter Doomsday with Peter Davidson. Uh, and then some uh, big finish. Uh, we're gonna do. We're gonna jump a big jump for us because we've kind of been monkeying about in the high nineties uh, for a while on the main range stuff. We're gonna go all the way up to number two twenty one uh, for the Starmen, which is a Peter Davidson uh, and Tegan and Nissa, Nissa and Adric story. I almost said Turbo. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> it's set before, so it's nothing. You know. Adric's in it. Um, uh, and that's, that's why we're doing Forty Doomsday, actually, for Friday Night News. Nice time there. Uh, and then we're, So we'll be reviewing that, and then we're also going to be uh, giving you our thoughts on the 10th Doctor, Season 3 of Titan Comics, Issues 1 through 5. So those are both uh, next week. And then uh, next week, the following week, is The Crotons for Friday Night Who, and then our Lost in Time feature returns with uh, getting a look, hopefully, at the Wheel in Space, which may or may not be available in its recon form through BritBox. Uh, so that is another potential change in the schedule. We'll let you know next week if that's what we're going to be doing or not, unless Glenn's going to look it up now and see if it's posted. I know that it's supposed to release sometime this month uh, on BritBox, so we, I took a gamble and just threw it up there, and it may or may not be up there yet. So we may have to finagle things a little bit. Still no update. Still no update. So it's not there as of this week, but maybe next week. So. All right. Well, is there anything else we need to touch on this week? All right. So if not, till next week. I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.